we've been looking at Galatians. Today we're going to jump into chapter 3. And remember the history behind the book of Galatians here. We found that Paul was actually quite upset with the Galatians because they very easily let someone else's teaching come in and override his. And so he calls out the whole fact that, you know, you, you guys have let this, this false teaching come in. And then he begins to tell the story again. This is how I got what I got. This is how I got the stuff that I gave you by my personal encounter with God here when I got knocked off my donkey on the way to Damascus to kill Christians. And then there was the conversion that happened. And, and he's even talked about how he spent some time in Arabia. He, in chapter 2, he just made mention of the fact that he was hanging out with the disciples there, but only for just a couple of days. And he only saw just a couple of the disciples anyway. He wasn't hanging out with a whole lot. But it was to confirm, have I been teaching you the right thing? Well, the, yes, the, the disciples confirmed that what I've been teaching you is correct. And then he talks also in the latter part of chapter 2 about a, a time when he and Peter were together. And Peter was okay with what was going on with the Gentiles until others, um, James specifically, comes and then Peter kind of switches his colors again and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I got to go back to this ritualistic way of life. And, and Paul calls him out there. So when we come into chapter 3, we find Paul more so explaining again his anger because the very first verse that we find in chapter 3 says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would, like, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? We're going to dive into that today, but I want you to see again just the, the frustration that Paul has when he starts off chapter 3 here. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has turned you around from that solid teaching that I gave you? the very beginning when I came to meet with you. Like I said, let's, let's, let's dive in here. I'm going to read those verses again, but let's dive in and really look at what is Paul saying here in chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Some of them might have been there. They might have been witnessing what was going on. I would like to learn just one thing from did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Again, he's calling them foolish. After beginning with the Holy Spirit, you are now trying to attain your goal by human effort. Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Because you believe what you heard. And from here he's going to get to a discourse with the, the, the understanding of Abraham versus Moses. But notice here how he is, he's again, calling them in some way foolish for what they are believing. And then asking them, where did you receive the Spirit from? Very interesting verse because, you know, this is one of those parts that in Galatians where we we see the contemplation between is it by works, is it by, um, is it by works, or is it by faith that 
we receive our salvation, basically, is what he's going to come down to here. We, we all know, hopefully you know, that no matter how good you are, no matter what you do, you cannot attain your access into heaven simply by your good deeds. Um, I think it's James that tells us that faith without works is dead. But let's look at the other side here. It's, it's the faith, the belief, and, and Paul will get into this as we continue on, but it's that belief in Jesus Christ that gets us to heaven. It's not the works. It's not even going to church or reading the Bible or having a solid prayer time. It's none of that. Not, not giving to the poor. Not just being an overall nice guy that, that has nothing to do with me getting access into heaven. Salvation, as Paul tells us in Romans, is based on well, what they titled the Romans Road, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth, that is salvation. That's what it takes. It's, it's not even really about a sinner's prayer, about how you have to pray all these deep things. In fact, I'm, I'm going to jump over to Romans really quick here. Romans 10, 9, and 10. I'm going to read you exactly what Paul says. I want you to see the, the simplicity of what it takes to become a child of God because we make it so hard. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Folks, I'm going to ask you, have you confessed with your mouth Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is the one that I'm serving. I have forsaken all other versions of any type of God. And I have and I have made him my only God. I have confessed Jesus is my Lord. And then the second part, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? And was, was buried and raised back to life. God did this. We have four Gospels that point specifically to this event where Jesus died on the cross and, and was buried and came back to life on the third day. Do you believe that in your heart? Folks, that, that is a faith in something that seems so simple. You know, all I got to do is believe that. Yeah. But believe that. Truthfully believe that. That will then, that, that, that is what conversion is. That, that is what salvation is. I'm sorry. That's what salvation is. Because if we do those two things, as Paul's saying, that's all it takes for us to be considered saved. Notice in there, Paul didn't say, and if you go to church, and if you give offerings, and if you're just a nice person, you didn't say that. Those are things that we should be doing as a Christian, but also as a person. But they have nothing to do with granting our access into heaven. So Paul, now, he's going to really go into this discourse between faith and works. Again, nothing that Paul said there was works. Everything he said is based on faith. If I do these things, if I confess him with my mouth, and I know I said the word do, right? If I confess him with my mouth and I believe in my heart, that's all I have to do. But works, as we're going to see defined here, is the keeping of the law. It's, it's the, the, the not messing up. You put so much stress 
maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's let's jump in here then. So starting in chapter three, I'm gonna be looking now at verse six. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you to those who have faith. Those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by faith. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing, the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that the faith we might receive, so sorry, so that by faith we might receive the promise spirit. What a great illustration here. What a great thing that he is saying that for us to catch is it's all about, again, like I said, the difference between faith and works. By faith, Abraham didn't do anything other than he had faith in God. If you think about it, and, and we'll see this too, as as, as Abraham is standing out in the, you know, maybe in the, the depth of the night there, God says, count the stars. If indeed you can. There's no way he could. Maybe, you know, maybe he saw a couple, but there's so many stars in the sky. And God says to him, that's, that's the inheritance that you're going to get. Those would be the, the children that become yours. But Abraham didn't have to do anything. God said that all you got to do is just believe that I'm giving you my word right now. I'm giving you, I'm, I'm telling you something. All I need you to do is believe it. He didn't say, I'm going to give you all those. If you do this, he simply just said, all those, all those stars in the sky, they represent the blessing that I'm going to give you. All you got to do is have faith. And then, then we find that Abraham was considered a man of faith. Same with the sand. You know, he's out there on the sand and, 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 and God calls again and says, count the number of sand. You can't do it. I'm going to give all this inheritance to you. It's going to be the exact same. You're going to have this many descendants that come from you. All you got to do is have faith. There was no if-then statement connected to it. Salvation should never have an if-then statement connected to it. But we get so caught up in the fact that we have to do something to get to heaven. And maybe that's because of the contrary here. The Torah. The Torah has all these 613 laws in it. And, and it was believed that if you messed up one of those, you're, you're in sin. 
But Paul will point out to us as we continue to go on, I didn't know what sin was until I knew what the law was. The law was great at pointing out the things that I was doing wrong. But then one step further than that, it also pointed out that because I am wrong, I need a Savior. Jesus comes, and he comes not to override what the law says, but to fulfill it. He's the only one who could, the only perfect one who could fulfill this law. Let's just be honest. We ain't got nothing. We, we, we can't do all the things in the law. Now, some of the law is based on uh, where you live. There are some laws specifically uh, in regards to being in Jerusalem, some uh, at different times of the year, things like that. But, but we cannot, we don't have the, the ability to keep every single one of those laws. And God knew that. So maybe, well, why did God give the law? Again, to point out the fact that we, as, as good as we might be, that we will never be we will never, we'll always be in need of something better, something more. And that more is Jesus. And Jesus comes and he lives out the law perfectly. And then he dies on the cross because of us. Because he knows my children will never be able to attain it. Let me help them. I'm going to live it. I'm going to die on the cross for them, for their sins, for their inability and I'm going to continue to give access to them so that they can be with me in heaven. It's, it's, it's a beautiful picture if we understand truly what this picture is about. Let's continue on here in chapter 3. I'm going to be in verse 15. Brothers, look, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to and your and to your seed, singular versus plural is what Paul is saying, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise for if the inheritance depends on the law then it no longer depends on the promise but God is God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise I'm going to stop right there for a second Here's that piece, that missing piece. Maybe, well, maybe it's missing. Maybe we don't catch it here. But what he's saying is this. Hey, guess what? Abraham, 430 years before Moses came along, was given a promise by God, and all he had to do was have faith. Again, I make this point with you. All we have to do is have faith don't have to do things to get to heaven. That confessing of our mouth, that believing in our heart, that is basically faith. 
I have to believe that God is who he says he is. Can't work to make God who he is. Can't do things to make God who he is. I have to believe that God is who he is. And that belief, that faith, comes before, as Paul is saying, it came 430 years before the law was established. And if you look at it that way, then you have to kind of debate, well, which really is the way to heaven? The faith or the law? And if it is the law, then you're saying that people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, those guys, because the law wasn't around at that time, you're saying that they may, may not have ever made it to heaven. I don't think that's the case. These are pillars in our faith. And even going back beyond that, you're going to tell me that Enoch, the man who was so connected with God that he didn't even die, are you going to tell me that he, because he didn't have the law, that he didn't make it to heaven? Because, because he didn't have a law to keep? You look at those past ones there, and it's all based on faith. And Abraham capitalizes on that because he is the man of faith, father of our faith. And so Paul is really just pointing out here, look, I understand God brought the law. And again, that law was to show us the things that we were doing wrong. And if I had not known that the law was there, I would not know that it was, it was wrong. Think about when you were a child, right? Some of you maybe have to stretch back a little further, uh, depending on how young we are. <laughs> but it's the same type of thing. How did you know? There's, there's a little bit of an instinct, I think. But how did you know something was wrong? Well, it wasn't until your parents said, no, don't touch, don't do that, that you that you began to understand, oh, there's a right and a wrong. I remember getting in trouble. I mean, I, 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 my earliest memory is at three, but I remember even at that age, some of the things that I thought were okay, mom and dad still had to, you know, pat my hand with a little bit of force there and say, no. I remember being a parent myself when my kids were very young, it was the same type of thing. My, my son or my daughter, they'd get into something and I'd have to take their hand away from it and say no. But they didn't know that it was wrong until I pointed out to them that it was wrong. That's exactly what the law does. Now let's continue on here. Now I'm in verse 19 of chapter 3. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, again this is, Paul just said was the Son of God, until Jesus, basically, to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put in, into effect through angels by the mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Therefore, 
this faith came. I'm sorry. Before this faith came, that didn't sound right. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Now that faith has come. Now. See, notice it's, it's putting faith again before the law. Now that faith has come. Now that there is this belief in Jesus being exactly who he said he is. Now that faith has come. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. Now, does that mean that we throw away the law? That's the thinking of most people. Oh, the Old Testament, that's 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 Old Testament. Jesus came and overdid everything. Hold on, let me explain really quick though. Again, we don't we, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater on this. We have to understand that there is a reason for the law. And that law was to show us and still is to show us where we mess up. If I'm doing something wrong, let, let's let's take, for instance, just thievery, right? So if I'm stealing, how am I going to know that that's wrong? I don't, there's not too much in the New Testament that's going to point towards stealing, right? But if I look back in the Old Testament, I'm going to know, ah, oh, this, this, this is a sin. I've got to stop, I've got to stop stealing. What about tithe? Is, a, is something established in the Old Testament. So should the churches stop asking for tithes because it's an Old Testament thing? I guarantee you no pastor is going to say yes to that. The pastors are going to want those tithes to come in, those offerings to come in. Even though it is an Old Testament thing, it's specifically being drawn out of the Torah there where we're told to bring in the harvest. We're told to, to bring in a certain a certain percentage of 10% there making it the tithe. We're told to bring offerings at specific times. No minister in the world is going to tell you, don't be bringing in your offerings. But that custom established in the New Testament is based on a law in the Old Testament. So is the, is the Old Testament, is the, is the Torah something we should just throw away? I guarantee you, if you do, it's going to change every church. If they were to really live... Torahless. But what it does is it shows us again. It shows us how things should work. It, it shows us what we need to achieve to. We're never going to be able to achieve it. Let's just be honest. That's why Jesus came. He died on the cross. That's what Paul told us already in this chapter. He died on the cross as our salvation because he knew we weren't going to be able to make it. We were not going to be able to, to, to cut it. But again, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. That's verse 25. I still need to be doing the right things. I still need to not steal. I still need to give, give offering. I still need to, you know, as the, the other laws that are in here, I still need to make sure that I am doing the right thing. But my salvation is not based on that. My salvation is based on faith. It's based on faith. 
There's a couple more verses here in chapter 3, but they do kind of round up with what's happening at the start of chapter 4. So we're going to start on those when we come back next time. But here's, here's really what I want you to take from today's session. I want you to remember faith versus works. Maybe you've done some really great things and you think those things are going to give you access into heaven. I just want you to know that's not what the Bible says. We can do all the great things we want and it's not going to gain access to heaven. It simply comes down to faith, to belief. Is Jesus in your life who he said he is? Have you confessed him with your mouth? Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you've done that, my friends, then you are saved. If you have not, but you're still thinking, oh, I'm going to get to heaven. I'm, gonna, you know, I'm a really nice guy. I'm doing all the great things here. I want you to know you're sadly mistaken because nowhere in the Bible does it say that you will get to heaven based on all these good things you're doing. It's about a relationship. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a partnership where you and your partner split the duties half and half. No, Jesus is saying, you've got to believe in me. You've got to confess me. When we do those things, friends, then, then we have salvation. I want you to have salvation. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I'll see you on the other side. Hey, this is Pastor Daniel. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Obedient Sheep podcast. If you'd like to get more information on this ministry or even get in contact with me, please go to obedientsheep.net. There you'll be able to leave your information, drop a line, send a prayer request, or even check out the other resources that are available. Thank you again for checking out this ministry, and we hope you have a blessed day.